The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. The Royals are now 63 and 42, while Detroit fires their GM and drops to 51 and 55. As Casey wins game one of three at Comerica Park, five to one behind seven strong innings from Danny Duffy. And it's Davo welcoming you into another edition of your dish here on Clubhouse Conversation, where we're going to break this one completely down for you tonight. We're going to detail the next two games, including a pitching change for Detroit tomorrow. We'll detail the hurler that will go up against Johnny Cueto coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, we begin with our player of the game tonight. And it's between two men, Danny Duffy and Salvador Perez. And I give the nod to Salvi tonight, who wins his fifth player of the game of the year on Clubhouse Conversation. Your leaderboard, by the way, at the moment, Eric Hosmer is leading with nine. Mike Moustakas, seven. Volquez, six. And then you have a lot of guys at five. Kane, Gordo, Perez, and uh, Kendris Morales, Chris Young, and many others with four. Even Johan Pino has three this year. So we've spread around the love this year on the player of the games because, as you know, it's a complete baseball team with a lot of, you know, it's not just the the core guys doing it. The complementary pieces have been, you know, keeping this team and where they're at right now, lifting them up the entire season. As certain guys struggled in the first half, we saw guys like Chris Young step in and Joe Blanton, on and on. Offensively, we've seen the same thing. So nice to see that, you know, the love being spread around accordingly here on Clubhouse Conversation. But Salvi gets it with the big home run. To me, it was really, it almost felt like the game was over when it became 3 nothing, didn't it? Two-out blast off Justin Verlander for Salvi, a two-run shot in the fourth inning. Puts the Royals ahead 3-0, and the way Duffy had looked those first three innings, didn't you feel like that was nail in the coffin? I, I would never have said that out loud, but I thought that to myself. So Salvi, that hit alone right there, not to mention the work he did with Duffy tonight, but then added in the fact that he drove in another run on top of that. Three for four for Salvi tonight. Nearly went four for four. Had a hit stolen from him. So a nice night from Salvi. And Danny Duffy from there just said, okay, I got this. You know, uh, the team has lifted me up. Now I'm going to put them on my back. And he did that. Seven innings, one run, five hits. Now, Duff only struck out two. But that's okay. And, but you know, the bad thing is he walked four. You want to keep the pitch counts down. That's obviously always number one with Danny Duffy. to get. You know the length is there out of him. That's now seven starts in a row. Duffy's gone six innings or more. You know the length is there, but it's always the pitch count that can get him in trouble. But he got through uh, seven innings on 100 pitches tonight. Kept his pitch count down. Was in the low 40s through four innings. About 10 pitches per inning through the first four frames. And that allowed him to hang on this one even despite some big pitch innings in the fifth inning and again as well in the seventh. But yeah, Danny Duffy, one run on five hits. The four walks don't bother me. Mark Wagner, not the best strikes on tonight, I didn't think, for Duffy. Although it was fair both sides. I mean, both both pitchers had a, a pretty small strike zone, I thought, to work with tonight. So uh, no complaints about the strike zone. At least it was consistent. If it's consistent, that's fine. And the thing about Duffy tonight was right off the bat, he broke two bats. First inning. Pitched inside effectively all night with the fastball. And then, of course, was able to get his secondary pitches, namely the breaking pitch, the slurve, over. And, I mean, it was just fun to watch tonight. Danny Duffy is really coming to his own. It's pretty clear right now the one through three on this team are Cueto, Duffy, Volquez. Right, left, right to me going into the playoffs. The playoffs, you know, started next week. That's what I would do with Ventura as my fourth guy. 
So nice job for Danny. And Ryan Matz and Luke Hochaver came in with a couple of one, two, three innings, six up and six down right there. Now let's get back to offense from there. And I will say the Royals didn't walk again tonight. We talked about them having, what, in the entire Toronto series, three walks. None again tonight. <laughs> last four games, or five games, sorry. Last five games, the Royals have three walks. That's okay. Though. I'm not going to nitpick. They did, you know, put five runs on the board and get it done tonight. Nice night for Hosmer, in addition to Salvi. Eric had a couple of hits. Alex Rios, Omar Infante. How about them both having two hits and both having a double? Three extra base hits tonight. The home run from Salvi and a couple of doubles uh, between those two guys. So the seven, eight, nine guys taking care of the extra base power tonight for the Royals, who left seven on base overall, two for eight, wrist-wise. But thanks to that home run ball by Perez and some very nice situational hitting, by the way. I like seeing Alcides Escobar bunt Omar Infante over in the fifth and then Ben Zobrist, a warning track fly ball to right, gets that run home. Good to see that one, too. And how about Ned Yost, by the way? Let's talk about that. Switching up the lineup a little bit. Moving down Moustakis into the six hole. Be interested to see what he does when Alex Gordon's back here in about four weeks. You know, Ned doesn't like the two lefties back-to-back. We'll see how he does that eventually, where he puts Gordo, where he ends up putting Moose. We'll see how long. You know, This may just be a temporary thing, but not usually. Ned's pretty consistent. He's not going to – I don't think it's one of those things where he's experimenting. Just for the fact that Ben Zobras is such an established player, a two-time All-Star, I believe Zobras will probably stay in that two-hole for a good chunk of the remainder of the season. I like seeing the move by Ned. Maybe take some pressure off Moose. He's been struggling, hitting around 200 the last month. So move him down in the lineup. Get Zobrist up there, a guy who gets on base above 350. I like it. I like how Ned's got some guys scattered. I mean, Alcides Escobar, obviously not your typical leadoff hitter and not an ideal leadoff hitter, obviously, but has done a pretty good job ever since ever since they moved him into that role last September. Things have taken off, and people criticize Ned, but the Royals have taken off pretty much ever since then, or right around then, you know? And Escobar's had some nice at-bats. I think back to that double he hit against Chris Archer in the Tampa series. Bases loaded, has like a nine-pitch at-bat, that double down the line. Remember that at-bat? There's that kind of stuff. He does get some big hits and does a pretty good job with giving himself up for the team, as we saw again tonight in that fifth inning before Zobras knocked in Infante. So I like Escobar. I like how the hitters are kind of tapered, you know? I, I, I don't mind having Escobar leading off. In this lineup, especially if you've got Zobrist number two, and then you go through, you know, the big bats of Kane and your Hosmers and your Morales. I imagine they probably move Gordo in the six hole when he comes back. You probably keep Sally in the seven and go Moose eight. I guess, and either you know, I don't know, Rios or Infante, depending on what they do with Zobrist. You know, what he plays when Gordo comes back. I think Ned loves the you know the left, right, left, right, left. So I imagine you might see Moose end up in the eight hole by the end of the year. We'll see. Uh, long way till that happens, though. So now the Royals move up to nine and a half ahead of the Twins. We're not too far away from not even mentioning that. I'd say we're about 10 to 14 days away. If the Royals have an 8-9 game lead come August 15th, you can pretty much put this division on ice at that point. It's not, I mean, it's not there yet. But we're about two, the Royals are about two more good weeks of baseball away from pretty much locking up the AL Central before September 1st. Who would have ever thunk that? I had the Royals winning this division and winning 92 games before the year. I had Detroit going 81 and 81 and 4th. I'm going to be wrong on that. Detroit's not going to play 500. No chance. Not now. I imagine the White Sox may end up being the second place team in this division, the way the Twins have been going. But who saw that coming where the Royals run away? I had Cleveland second, winning 91 games. I had Cleveland as my second place team. So I'll give myself credit. I did have the number one team, the Royals. I probably picked the fourth team right. Detroit probably finishes in fourth place in this division. So I had those right. But, man, I was wrong on the Twins and obviously on Cleveland. 
Who saw this coming, though? I'm to the point now where I'm almost just paying attention to the Yankees. And soon it could be the Blue Jays. The Yankees, of course, are three games back of the Royals. They played the exact same amount of games. So, you know, a legit three games behind the Royals for the top record in the AL. How nice would it be to have home field the entire playoffs? That includes the World Series. Almost to the point where I'm just paying attention to the Yankees slash Blue Jays more. Blue Jays are still five games back, but the way they're playing right now, uh, they could be up there by September, the way they're going right now. So, you know, I'm to the point now where, I mean, the, the two good things about that is you're not losing focus and getting lackadaisical because you're, you're staying in a pennant race. You're keeping yourself motivated. That could be good for the Royals in September. That could end up being the one thing that keeps them, you know, having their edges. You know, competing for that. It, it's still, you know, it's like they're going against somebody. They can't get laxed in. Because if you're 10 games ahead in September, the games pretty much become meaningless. It's just staying healthy and getting your work in. Putting up some numbers at that point. But it's nice that the Royals have a team, you know, three, four, five games behind them going into the last week of the season. I like to have the Royals, you know, perfectly in a perfect world, the Royals continue to play well and have a four or five game lead over the Yankees pretty much the rest of the way. And then maybe the last week you can kind of pull back and play your backups and rest everybody. We saw what happened to the Angels last year, obviously, when they pulled back way too soon and got lax and... You know, I'm not saying that'll happen with the Royals. I don't think it will, but just something to think about down the stretch. Now, tomorrow it's Johnny Cueto and a new pitcher. Buck Farmer has been scratched uh, from the start tomorrow because of an injury, and the, the Tigers will throw out their new lefty that they just got in the David Price trade from Toronto. Matt Boyd is his name. Matt Boyd, 0-2, two big leg appearances, 14-8-5 ERA. Now, this is a guy who's a distant relative of Bob Feller. Hopefully he doesn't pitch like Feller. By the way, the two things about Feller. Number one, if you've never seen that museum in Van Meter, Iowa, it's right outside of Des Moines, maybe 15, 20 miles. I highly recommend the Feller Museum there. Number two, my favorite baseball trivia question. I, I don't have the exact year or team this happened against. You could look it up. Here's my trivia question to you. Let's see if you can get this right. It's, I, I got this from the museum. There's only been one time in Major League history every single hitter and the opposing lineup had the same batting average before a game and after a game. So this is all nine guys for the season in the game and start the game with the same batting average. How is that possible? I'll give you about 10 seconds. Think about that for a second. One time in Major League history, the entire lineup had the same batting average before and after the game. Answer? Zero, 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 because Bob Feller threw a no-hitter on opening day. It's only happened once in big league history. I don't have the year of the team. I can't remember that off the top of my head, but kind of a cool trivia question. Throw that one out next time you're around your friends. So June 27th was Matt Boyd's first start in the big leagues against Texas. Went pretty well. I mean, decent, pretty well. Six and two-thirds, four runs on nine hits. But then the last start was very Aaron Brooks-ish but even worse than the one we saw in Toronto. Not the Aaron Brooks we saw on Friday. Congrats to him, by the way. Eight innings, one-run ball for Oakland. We talked to him on Clubhouse Conversation a few weeks ago here. Talked to him. Very very nice guy. So congrats to him on getting a, jo- a chance and doing the job there with Oakland in his first start. But I'm talking about the Aaron Brooks in Toronto start. And this game was also in Toronto that Boyd threw, where he didn't record a single out July 2nd. Seven runs on six hits. Didn't record a single out his last major league game, July 2nd. Seven runs, six hits in zero innings. Yikes. That's who the Royals get tomorrow. And if this isn't a mismatch, I don't know what is. Against Johnny Cueto. Cueto probably feels like he has something to prove, even though he doesn't. He's Johnny freaking Cueto. And he still pitched pretty well his last outing. Six innings, three runs, seven Ks, and two walks against Toronto, who is hitting everything right now. But, you know, Cueto wants to do better than six and three. He wants to go seven, eight innings, one or two run ball every time out there. 
has faced Detroit once this year back on June 17th. Cueto has allowed three runs and five and a third. That's got to be a slam dunk Royals win tomorrow. I like the Royals getting that one, which guarantees them a 500 road trip, and then uh, Thursday afternoon becomes a gravy game and a toss-up game. Ventura and Sanchez, Annabelle and Giordano. Royals have seen Sanchez twice this year, and it's been Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Once six innings, six runs against the Royals. Once seven and a third, three runs. And then, of course, Ventura has only seen Detroit once. I say, of course, like you know that. I don't know why I said of course. But Ventura has only, <laughs> only seen Detroit once this year. Six innings, four runs. Don't worry. That's not an of course statement. Now, nobody should know that off the top of their head. Only dorks who research and obsess over baseball. Ventura, seven innings, two starts in a row. So the Royals' bullpen's in great shape. Day off yesterday. Only Matson and Hochaver tonight. Cueto on the hill tomorrow. You're, you're thinking probably at least seven out of him. Your bullpen should be in damn good shape tomorrow and hopefully into the weekend when the White Sox come to the K. Thanks for having us on here. By the way, make sure you check out the Matt Tupman interview that I published earlier this morning. Wow. Matt Tupman, one for one in his major league career. Batted a perfect 1,000. That one hit back in 2008, June 19th, maybe? June 18th, against the Marlins off of Kevin Gregg. One for one. And quite the story, Matt Tupman, a kid from New Hampshire who talks about catching Zach Grinke when Grinke was 18. They were teammates in Spokane. He talks about how he didn't see eye-to-eye with Frank White. Very candid about that. Talks about a young Billy Butler playing with him in Wichita, playing with and catching Ambiorex Burgos, who went on to be a convicted murderer. Yikes. Royals got him for Brian Bannister, of course, or vice versa. I got Brian Bannister for Burgos. Talks about all that. Talks about how he asked for his release from the Royals, the frustrations with Trey Hillman. Great kid. Funny kid. I don't know why I call him a kid. He's the same age as me, but great interview with Matt Tupman. Check that one out. Clubhouseconversation.com here on the site. You can download it through iTunes, download it through the site, or stream it here on the site. Make sure you follow us at Royals Clubhouse as we do weekly interviews with your favorite current and former Royals players year-round and post-game analysis here on your dish. Tell a friend means a lot. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Go Royals!